Uh, if you have your Bible, you can open with me to Matthew chapter 5. If you have your Bible app, you can just kind of pop over to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be picking up as you've been walking as a congregation through the Beatitudes. And I want you just to listen closely because if I ask you the question, do you want to experience the blessing of God? My guess is you'd all say yes. <laughs> I would love to experience the blessing of God. Well, listen closely because there's something connected to that in every verse that we're going to read. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Well, do you long for blessing in your life? One of the pathways is growing in purity. The pathway to purity, becoming more like Jesus. And if I said to you, would you want, do you want to see God more with greater clarity, with greater awareness of who God is? I think you'd say yes. Even if you're new in faith, a longtime believer, or maybe you're even here, and you're trying to figure out, is God even real? And is this, you know, if somebody invited you along or you jumped online, and you're just trying to figure the whole God thing out. But if you could see God and encounter God, you'd be like, yeah, I'm, I'm in. I'd love, to, I'd love to experience that. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What comes to your mind when you think about purity? Our world doesn't talk about things being pure very much anymore because there's just not a whole lot of purity in our world. But what comes to your mind? Maybe you think of like pure water. Like the kind of water that if you've been running or working in the yard or exercising and doing something actively and you're thirsty and you just look at water and it's just so clean and so pure and you just go, man, the, the, the purity of that water. My wife and I have an ongoing um, thing. Sherry was born and raised on the west coast of Michigan, in Holland, Michigan. I was born and raised on the west coast of the United States in Newport Beach, Huntington Beach. And Sherry loves lake water because there's no salt. She says, it's so clean. It feels so nice. I love ocean water because there is salt. I actually, as a kid growing up, I, I would, when I'd go to the, we'd go spend the whole day at the beach and I'd be in the water and when the, it would dry my skin, every so often I would just kind of lick the salt off my arm. She, the first time I told Sherry, she goes, oh, she was just disgusted. I said, well, we're different, you know? But, uh, but maybe, maybe you just think of the, the, the beauty of the ocean or maybe you think of sort of the expansiveness of creation. You know, what do you think of when you think of purity? Just the places of grandeur and beauty. Or maybe something small and delicate. Maybe you're, you have a garden and you have flowers and you might just look at one flower and say, that's the, the purity of the simplicity of that, just that beautiful flower. Maybe you think of a newborn baby or freshly fallen snow. Okay, that's pure. But none of those pictures are pictures of ourselves or other people. We don't, when I think about purity, I think about me or other people. But when you think about purity, when you think of blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God, the best picture of purity that you're going to ever get, the best picture of purity you're ever going to see is going to be this ultimate description of pure is in the God we worship. God is our perfect picture of purity, of holiness. 
God is absolutely without impurity, without wrong, without sin. God is perfectly pure. Our God is gloriously different than us. Something pure stands apart. It's unique. And our God is uniquely different than us. Our God is utterly separate from all things tainted and unclean, which is most of what we see and touch and experience in this world. Our God is separate from all of that. Our God is pure and beautiful. And and, and if we're going to say, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God, we need to look at this God that we worship. In an impure world, we're stunned and even confused by a God who is pure beyond our comprehension. We live in this impure world. And so when we think about purity, we don't even know how to program that into our minds. When we think about God as pure, we're like, well, we can kind of try to compare God to things, but we don't understand the absolute beauty and purity of our God because our culture is saturated with sin. And sometimes I'll hear people say, man, our world is the worst it's ever been. Sin has gotten worse and worse and worse. Things, you know, could things get any worse than this? If you go over to the Old Testament days where there was Baal cult worship and they were, they were sacrificing children to Baal and there were, and there were, there were you know, cult prostitutes, it was pretty impure back in the Old Testament days. When you, start going to, you, know, when you think, okay, New Testament days, first century Rome, if you did a deep dive and studied first century Rome, you would find a culture that was perversely impure. The kind of stuff I can't even talk about from the pulpit that was normative behavior in the first century. So when you say that our culture and our world has become so impure, understand it was this way in the Old Testament. It was this way in the New Testament days. And it's the same way today. Here's the difference. Here's the difference. Everybody look at me. Here's the difference. Click, 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 click. And I've got all the pure impurity in the whole world in my hand. Right? In our purse, in our wallet, in our pocket, on our phone. We, we, it's not that the world is that much different. It's just that we have access to everything with a couple of clicks. So we see it. But what we face today in striving to understand what it means to be pure in heart is what Christians have, have struggled with throughout history. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. And in Isaiah chapter 6, uh, we, we encounter Isaiah as he encounters God. Listen to God's word from Isaiah chapter 6, this vision that Isaiah has. Isaiah 6 verse 1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, these heavenly beings, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two wings, they covered their feet. With two wings, they were, with, uh, two wings, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then you've got to look at Isaiah's response to the glory, to the purity, to the holiness of God. Because Isaiah responded, I believe, like anyone would respond if they were to encounter God at this kind of a level. And so what happens in verse 5? Here's the response of Isaiah. Woe to me, I cried, for I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, impure lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And when you see God, something happens when you understand his purity, his holiness, his glory. What happens in Isaiah's heart and life when he encounters God in this infinite purity, this infinite beauty and glory and holiness and purity? Well, first what happens is this. He becomes aware of his own sin and his own unclean life. When, when Isaiah is in the presence of the living God, the holy, holy, holy one, what does he say? I am a man of unclean lips. He recognizes his own impurity, his own uncleanness in the light and the reflection in the mirror of the glory of the Father. And that happens to us as we come into the presence of God. What else happens to Isaiah? He sees the sin and spiritual darkness of the world around him. I am a man of unclean lips. He sees himself. And I live among a people of unclean lips. In the light of God's purity and glory and holiness, he recognizes that where he lives, his world is impure, is unclean. That's what happens when we come into the presence of the glory of God, when we see his beauty. And then finally, he's in awe of the glory and the majesty of God. He is just in awe. And my eyes have beheld the glorious one. When you see God, when you encounter God, your whole perspective changes. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And when we truly see God, what happens? We become aware of our impurity and we long to become more pure, more holy, more like him. But this reality of who God is becomes a problem for us. Not a problem for God, but a problem for us. So here's the first problem with God's absolute purity. With God's absolute purity and holiness. Here's our first problem. The holiness of God means he is too pure to let any sin near him. The prophet Habakkuk says this of God. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. He recognizes that God cannot look on sin. So here's one of the problems of being impure people in an impure world. The holy, holy, holy God is separated from us because of sin. And and that's our problem. That distance, that chasm between us and God because of sin. And and what God can't do, and the thing we often do, is God, God doesn't kind of sweep our sins under some spiritual rug and say, well, just ignore that. No big deal. Just kind of put it over here and forget. God has to deal with it. God has to confront it. God has to see it. And so here's the good news. God has dealt with our sin fully and completely on the cross. This is the good news. God has dealt with your sin and mine through Jesus Christ's death on the cross. Listen to these words from 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin. This is Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Lamb of God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. You can spend a whole year of sermons on that one line, trying to unpack what that means. And God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Do you get what that passage is saying? That the sinless, holy, perfect Lamb of God on the cross, somehow in a way beyond our comprehension, he bore our sins, he took our shame, and he that knew no sin 
became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Let that, let that just blow your mind and move your heart. That's the good news. That God has dealt with our sin through Jesus Christ and the price that he paid. And so Jesus, we pause right now and we reflect on the spiritual reality that you bore our sin and you took our shame and you paid the price and that you who are pure and perfect and holy for all of eternity, somehow in a way our minds can't fully grasp, you took on yourself our sin and you were so sin-saturated because of what we had done, our words, our thoughts, our actions, that you who knew no sin became sin, that you might give us your righteousness. Let that truth just go deep into our souls this day so that we'll never forget it. We pray this in your name. Amen. The second problem with God's absolute purity and holiness, and again, the problem is for us. Here's the second problem. The purity and holiness of God strip away all of our excuses, all of our rationalizations for our sin and our rebellion. We are so good at rationalizing our sin. Well, everyone in my class is doing it. Everyone, at work, you know, everyone in business does it. I mean, that's, that's how business works. You don't get ahead in business if you don't do that. We know it's wrong, but we, you know, we, we can rationalize. Well, I was out of town. My wife will never know. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You know, I, not only do we have our own rationalizations, but culture gives us excuses and rationalizations. But when you understand the holiness of God, you realize that none of our rationalizations do any good. James chapter 1, verse 13 to 15 says this. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. There's a whole life cycle there. We can't unpack it all, but there's this reality that, that our sin, we're enticed. We don't blame God. We don't make excuses. And so here's the good news. And this is good news. We don't need to make excuses. We don't need any excuses. We need to confess, repent, and fall into the Savior's arms. You don't have to make any excuses for your sin. Just run to Jesus. Confess your sins. He's faithful and just. He'll forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. First John tells us that. We don't have to make up excuses and rationalize and justify our sins. We just come clean and come before God. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, tell him honestly. He's faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If you know the biblical story, you know in the Old Testament, the story of one of the kings of Israel named David. And David's on his rooftop. He sees this beautiful woman. He knows her husband because her husband is one of his soldiers, one of his commanders out in the field. And he takes this woman and makes her his own physically. And then he eventually has to figure out how to have her husband killed because she becomes pregnant. And her husband's away at war. So he brings, and there's this whole complicated, convoluted story unfolds. And so David commits adultery, basically rape. He has the husband killed, so he commits a murder through the hands of another person. And, and then he does all he can to cover his tracks. 
And he feels like he's, he's got it all, he's got covered his, he's the king, he can do what he wants, but he just, he just, he's got his tracks covered until God sends a prophet, Nathan, to him. And Nathan just, just by the spirit of God, uncovers his sin. Now you have to understand that moment when Nathan tells his parable, the story, and says, David, you're the one, you're the one that sinned against God. David could have simply said to any of his guards, hey, take this guy out, have him killed. And nobody would have questioned it. Ancient world kings, that's how it worked. But that was the moment he had to decide. Would he keep running and covering up his sin or would he come clean? And his confession of sin is found in Psalm 51. We sang a little piece of it in one of the songs today. But he comes to God and he confesses and he's broken. And he asks for God's cleansing. God's waiting for that. God's longing for that. Our problem is that sin separates us from God. The good news is that God has paid the price through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, for many people today, many people today, Lord, there's, there's a, a life pattern of rationalization and justification and covering sins. And Lord, there's people online today, there's people on campus today who have been covering things up for weeks or months or years. And I, God, I believe this is the day that you want some people to right now just say to you, God, I confess. I'm going to stop running. I'm going to stop covering up. I'm going to throw myself into the arms of Jesus to cleanse me, to forgive me because I am broken and I am sinful and my cover-up is not working. Because God, you still know and I still know. And eventually other people are going to know too. If that's you, just talk to the Lord for a minute. Confess what you need to confess to him. And Lord, let those who need to continue just talking to you do that. And let stir in our hearts in the coming hours reminders of things we need to confess to you. Well, here's the big challenge that comes with God's absolute purity and holiness. And God gives us a challenge. God is holy, holy, holy. We're not. And so here's the challenge. God calls us to be holy just as he is holy. In both the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus, this whole book on holiness, in the New Testament of 1 Peter, God speaks to you and me, and he calls us to be holy. And in Leviticus eleven forty four, you read this. I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. We're called to holiness. Well, that's the Old Testament. That's, that's Leviticus. Well, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Don't live the way you used to live. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. This is a challenge. This is a big deal. We're called to holiness. And God will never call us to anything that can't be attained through his power and strength. That's, God, God is at work in us. And he, he's never going to call you to do what you can't do in his power and his presence. So here's the good news. You know, since God doesn't call us to something we, we can't experience and attain, we have to recognize that purity, that holiness is possible for us. And I, I want you just right now, even if you're a note taker, look at me for a second and just you need to get this picture in your mind. There's two things going on here when it comes to purity and holiness that this is talking about. This, and this is the deep theological topic that we could spend hours on, but I just want to give you two snapshots, okay? On one hand, when you come to the cross, when you confess your sins, 
When you look at the face of the crucified Savior who, who knew no sin, who became sin, that you might become the righteousness of God. And when you receive Jesus Christ, his sacrifice, his death, you affirm his resurrection. When you take a hold of Jesus Christ, you are washed clean and you are made holy. You're made pure. And one day when you stand before the living God who is holy, 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 he will look at you and he will say, I see no sin because of the work of Jesus. Someone say amen. amen. That is good news. That is good. We are washed clean. We are made pure before God. So that, that's absolutely true. It's biblical. It's true. But also, we live in a broken, sinful world. We have enticements and struggles. And in this broken world, we're called to grow in holiness and to become holy as the Lord our God is holy. We're called to walk in a journey and a path of growing in holiness. You say, well, wait a minute, Pastor. You just said I was made holy when I received Jesus. Or if you're not a Christian, when you do. He said, but you said you're made holy through the work of Jesus, and he takes care of it all. It's absolutely true. But also, we're called to grow in holiness. It's hard sometimes for our minds to entertain both those truths at once, but they're both absolutely true. The holiness that will, that will make you righteous before God one day, the Father one day, at the end of time, is the finished work of Jesus Christ. But you're called to walk and grow on this path, this journey of growth and holiness. And it's hard to live and grow in purity and holiness in the current of our world, when the current of our world is becoming more and more impure, the flow, the current, the movement of our world, the accessibility of impure images. When, when, when I was raising my boys here and trying to raise our boys here in West Michigan, at that time, we're going back now three and a half decades, if you want to get a hold of you know, inappropriate materials or things to view, pretty much you'd have to drive down to like 28th Street in Grand Rapids and find a seedy little bookstore and park out front and people would see, oh, that's your... I mean, it was hard to go get... And you could buy some dirty magazines or videos or whatever. That's, that's what the world was like 30, 40 years ago. Now it's click, 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 and a thousand times worse and accessible. It's a different world that we live in. And, and, and so the accessibility, the availability, the, and so, so the, the current of our culture, sin has been sin, brokenness is brokenness, but now there's a, that current is moving faster and faster as things are be, becoming more and more accessible. And so I want you to get a picture in your mind. When you watch this, this short little video on the screen, I want you to ask yourself this question. What are these fish thinking? What are these fish thinking? Watch the screen. They're thinking, this is tough. This could kill us. Are we going to make it? The current, the flow of, of, of the stream is such, I mean, they're trying to swim against the current, and that's the call God gives to you and me. Yes, we're made holy. We're made pure. The finished work of Jesus Christ. And God will look at you one day and say, I don't see any sin on you because Jesus paid the price. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe, right? And yet you're also called, I'm called, we're called to grow in holiness. And it's an it's a upstream swim. It's challenging. And so here's what I want to do. I want to think together, about how do I grow in purity? What are some ways we can... And I'm going to give you just a number of different ideas, and I'm going to encourage you, every person here, every person online, that at least two or three of these ideas, I think you can say, that's for me. I can, I can step into that. Because the book of James says, don't, don't deceive yourself by being a hearer of the word only, but do what it says. We have to let the Word of God change us. If we leave here having learned about the fact that blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, but we're not growing in purity, we're missing something. So here's some ways to walk on this path to purity, all right? How do I grow in purity? Number one, pray passionately for growth in purity. 
confessing failures, confessing struggles, and the need for God's amazing grace and power. First Thessalonians 4, 7 says this, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. So pray, God, make me holy. Grow me in holiness. When's the last time you got on your knees and said, God, make me more holy. Make me more like you. Sometimes you don't even think about this. Some of you are going, I've never prayed for that. This is the day for you to start. God, God, and when you struggle, God, I confess, this is a challenge for me. My, my thoughts go where they shouldn't go. My behaviors are what they shouldn't be. Talk to God about these things. He cares about you growing in holiness and purity more than you do. So talk to him. Pray to him. Second, how do I grow in purity? Identify, name, and admit your sins. Commit to take sins seriously, even the little sins and the secret sins. This is from Psalm 51, where David is confessing after he's got into some big sins. And he prays, for I know my transgressions, my sins always before me. Against you, you only, God, have I sinned and done what was evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. He confesses, he names, he acknowledges his sin and his separation from God. I don't know what sins you battle with, but I know the sins I battle with. I gotta check my heart. I gotta watch my attitudes. And when I'm out of line, I gotta come and confess that to God. So name your sins, acknowledge your sins. I'm not saying make a poster and set, share it with the whole world, but I'm saying you acknowledge, you know where the enemy entices you, you know where you're stumbling. And so identify and name it and bring those before the Lord. Uh, a great uh, American revivalist years ago, a guy named Billy Sunday, had this one powerful line where he, he said, one of the reasons that sin flourishes, one of the reasons that sin keeps growing and flourishing is that we treat it like a cream puff rather than a rattlesnake. We look at our sin and go, this looks tasty. This looks delicious. It's the original sin of a beautiful piece of fruit, right? We look at sin like a cream puff instead of going, that's a rattlesnake. That thing could kill me. We have to change our disposition and our look at what sin is really all about. Number three, how do I grow in purity? And again, let two or three of these speak to your heart and take note of these and let God begin to walk you on this journey, on this path to purity. Number three, look honestly at the consequences of your sins. Admit that all sin breaks God's heart, hurts us, and impacts others. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says this. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man, a woman, a person reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Look honestly at the consequences of what, if I keep living this way, if I keep doing this, if I keep walking down this road, this is what's going to probably happen. When I get caught, and we almost always do, this is what can happen. And be honest about that. I was in a pastor's group here in West Michigan for about 10 years, senior pastors of, of, of churches in the area, and one of the pastors came to our pastor's group after about 10 years and said, uh, I need to let you all know I'm going to be dropping out of our pastor's group and also dropping out of my marriage and dropping out of my parenting and dropping out of my ministry. I married the wrong woman. I've met my soulmate a volunteer in his church who had a husband and four kids, and apparently she'd married the wrong person and met her soulmate uh, in this pastor. And we, we did all we could to convince him not to make this decision. At one point, one of the other pastors leaned over to me. This guy was about six foot five. He goes, I say we take him behind the church and just beat him up until he finally gets the, does the right thing. I said, I don't think that's going to work. Um, pastors beating up pastors. But, but I, 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 he was just like, man. And so we finally challenged him. He, he took a week and went away with his wife to this conference ground and went through all this you know, therapy and re- trying to, and he came back and he said, I'm done, I'm out of here. And he left his wife, left his kids, tried to convince me this was better for his kids. Not looking at the consequences, not being honest about it. 
And he married this other woman. They both left their families. And they lived happily ever after for six months. And then they got divorced. Because they took all the same sins and all the same problems into the new relationship, right? But stop and look down the road. Where would this take me? What could happen if I keep walking down this road? And ponder those thoughts because it will cost more than you imagine or dream to you, to others, to the heart of God, to your relationship with Jesus. How do I grow in purity? Number four, go to war on sin. Make serious, targeted, laser precision attacks on the sin areas of your life. Don't become comfortable with your sin. Don't just be bothered, but hate your sin the way God hates it. Say, I'm going to fight against this. I'm not, I'm just, I don't want to keep living in this, this attitude, this behavior, this, this motive out of my heart, this, this anger that I, that, I, that, I linger, that lingers in my soul, this, you know, these thought patterns, whatever it is, just say, God, I'm going to stand strong and fight against this. Colossians 3, 5 to 8 says this. Put to death, kill it. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, past tense. But now you must also get rid of, get also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Ask yourself the question, where do I go? Where do I put in my mind? What creates anger in me? What is selfish within me? What are sins that, you know, I, and say this, and have a game plan to fight against that sin. Don't treat it like it's not a big deal. But, but get very, very serious about it and be ready to fight against it. And can I tell you something? One of the things that happens when you address specific sins in your life and areas of temptation and when you fight against them and you, and, you, and you seek the face of Jesus and you ask for his power and you confess and you identify and you fight against those things, you begin to start to find victory in that area. And you start to live in a different way and your behavior changes and your attitudes change. But here's what God does. And, and this is... This is just, this has been my experience for now the 45 years I've been a Christian. Grew up in an atheistic home, but I've been a Christian for four and a half decades now. So, so God will work on an area. He'll show me an area of sin, and I'll address it, and I'll confess it, and I'll fight against it. And it begins to kind of wane and go away. And you know what God does? He graciously shows me another area of sin in my life. He says, okay, now let's work on this one. I'm like, I never even saw that attitude. And God's like, yeah, because we were working on these other five crummy attitudes. Now it's time. And this is the journey. We're made holy through the finished work of Jesus. He paid the price. You're cleansed if you receive his grace. But we're growing in holiness. It's a pathway to purity. It's swimming upstream. It is a challenge. How do I grow in purity? I realize that there is power much greater than your sin and temptation than my sin and temptation. His name is Jesus. And he is with you always in the person of the Holy Spirit. You have strength. Some of you are thinking right now, you don't understand the area that God's putting in my heart right now that the Spirit's convicted me of. I tried to, I've tried to overcome that 50 times. And I'm back at it again. And it's time for 51. And to look to God and say, God, give me strength again to go against this, to stand against this. Listen to Romans 6, 12 to 14. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. 
For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Someone say amen. You have power and strength in Jesus Christ and his spirit who lives in you to stand against these things and to keep fighting and to keep pressing back. And if you stumble again, you say, God, pick me up, dust me off and set me on my way again. And so some of you today need to just recognize that this is, it's time to step in again. You've, you've grown weary and tired. And you say, okay, that part of my life, I'm going to die. I'm going to die doing that, living that way, thinking that way, acting that way. And you don't need to. And let today, if the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart, respond. How do I grow in purity? Read, study, memorize, and agree with the Bible. God's word is your sword for the battle. You want to stand strong? Get the word of God in your heart and in your mind. Psalm 119, verses 9 and 11 says this. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. And then verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. One of the best ways to stand against sin in your life is to get this book in your mind and in your heart to believe it from start to finish. As a young Christian growing up in the kind of home I grew up in, growing up in the area I grew up in, um, I went to junior college for two years. My parents said, we're not paying for some expensive private Christian school. Again, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. So I worked full-time. I went to school full-time for two years and saved so I could pay for two years of private Christian school. So I was going to Orange Coast College, this college that was more like uh, people that were going to go to the beach later that day, which was just right down the road. Um, we just come to school in their bathing suits, basically, the guys and the girls. And so I'm this young Christian guy. I've been, I've been a Christian for a few years, and I'm in this environment, and I'm finding my eyes and my mind wandering towards attractive women. That's all I'll say. But I'm just finding that's where my mind was going. And I'm, I'm going, okay, Lord, I want to deal with this. So I had somebody say to me, one of these older Christians, um, you know, it's like, he was like 25, really old guy, very wise. And I'm just a kid, right? And he, he says, well, start memorizing the Bible. Whenever you, start, whenever you start thinking those thoughts and start noticing girls too much and stuff and your mind starts to wander, just go back through the, the passage. So I started memorizing 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen and destined by God the Father and sanctified by the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, for sprinkling of his blood. This is going back decades now. I just went over that verse, and I added another verse when I got that one memorized. I had another verse. And every time my mind would wander, every time that sin would creep in, every time I found myself kind of lusting and going the wrong place, I'd just go over the passages again. Before the semester was done, I'd memorized five chapters because my mind was wandering that much. And then before the next semester ended, I had memorized the book of Haggai. A little shorter, but powerful. And about that time, I think, I think the enemy said, I'm going to stop trying to entice him with that because he's just going to memorize another book of the Bible. And so that, that became much less of a deal. I still have to keep my guard up on that. And then God helped me start to grow in another area. But, but just saturate your mind, saturate your heart. If you, if you say, well, I've tried to overcome that sin, but I really haven't had much success. Have you immersed yourself in the word of God? And let that control your thoughts and your minds in those moments. How do I grow in purity? Become a student of Satan's tactics and enticements. Learn your enemy. Understand your enemy. In general, and specifically in your life and in your family history. How has the enemy worked in your family? How has the enemy worked in your life in the past? What are the lures and enticements he puts in front of you that he knows you tend to give in to? And his tactics haven't changed that much. You want to know why? They work. Study Genesis 3. Study Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, the two uh, passages where the enemy comes and tries to tempt Jesus. Matthew 4, Luke 4. Genesis 3, the original sin and what's happening there, right? But ju just say, I I'm going to study the tactics of the enemy. And let me tell you, two places the enemy 
will attack all of us. He'll attack you in specific areas of weakness, family systems, history, different things, and, and there's a lot to think about in that area. But here's the two areas that Satan tends to attack us. Number one, the areas that we say, I would never do that. Be careful. I asked my pastor friend who blew up his marriage and his family because he met his soulmate. I asked him, how did you get there? He said to me, if you'd have asked me four months earlier, would this ever happen to me? I would say never. He had boundaries. He had integrity. But he didn't believe he could ever stumble into that. So you know what? He dropped his guard. Better to say, I could fall into almost any kind of sin, and I need to be ready and prepared. So those areas that you think you would never fall into sin, be careful. As a pastor, I could tell you story after story of people who have come and said, I never thought I would, and now they've blown their life apart. Here's the other place the enemy often attacks where you've already gone before, where there's a well-worn rut in the carpet going towards that sin, you know, kind of the carpet of your heart and your life, a well-worn ruts in your neural pathways of how you think and how you go at things. Those areas you've fallen before, be careful because those are the areas that the enemy will want to push you right back into that. But learn your enemy. Understand how the enemy works and stand against your enemy. How do I grow in purity? Reduce your exposure to the things that cause temptation in your life and run when you must. You know where you're most tempted. What's that time of night you want to kind of run to the refrigerator? What's that time that you tend to want to go hit the bar when you're out of town? What's that place where you want to kind of click, 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 wander somewhere you shouldn't be going? You, you know those things, right? And so reduce your exposure. You know, cut those things off. Block those things out. 2 Timothy 2.22 says this, flee the evil desires of youth. Flee, run, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So just identify those things. And then when you have to, you cut off those sources of those things or just run. Just run away. When Sherry and I were dating, before we were married, when we were engaged, there were times we had made a decision that we wanted to walk, we, we, wanted, to, we wanted our marriage night to mean something. And so we were going to try to follow the biblical guidelines for our sexual intimacy. And there were times I had to run. She's very strong and very fast. <laughs> strong Dutch woman. No, there were times I would have to, or there's times we would have to go, we, got, we can't hang out anymore. And we just say, we're done for the night. Go, because it was like, we're recognizing being in that environment was not healthy. So identify those things and turn and run when you must. Number nine, just two more. How do I grow in purity? Dare to set up radical and serious systems of accountability even when it hurts. When Daniel needed support, he went to Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He, he went to friends and said, pray for me, support me. I've got to stand strong in this situation. Who do you have in your life that when you have an ongoing battle with sin and you want to grow in purity, that you can go to and say, will you pray for me? Will you ask me how I'm doing? And if I get really in a pinch, can I call you and just say, listen, I'm about to make a really bad decision. Who do you have in your life? Do you dare to let someone come that close to you? Because we need that community with one another. We need that. As I share the final thought, I want to invite the worship team to come up. And many of them in the, in the sanctuary worshiping with us, come and join us. And they're going to close us with a really powerful song. If you've not heard it before, the words, the message will speak to your heart. But here's the last thought I want to share with you. How do I grow in purity? Embrace grace when you struggle. And rejoice as you take steps of faithfulness. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 says this. But because of his great love for us, 
God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. We are not saved by striving for holiness. We're saved because the holy, holy God of heaven sent his only son to die for us. And he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. And so when you struggle, and you will, and when you stumble, and you will, don't stumble away from God. Stumble back into his arms. Lean on him. And when you fall on your face, like a little kid who's learning to walk or ride a bike, and you fall down, your heavenly father's not going to look at you and say, what's wrong with you? He's going to run over to you, and he's going to pick you up, and he's going to say, you're still my girl. I love you. He's going to dust you off. He's going to say, let's keep walking. Stay on this path. Keep pursuing me, this, this path to purity. He's going to say, you're still my boy. You're still my son. You might not be five or six or seven years old anymore, but he's, you're still his son. You're still his daughter. And you lean on his grace. So the song that the team's going to lead us in right now is about leaning into Jesus. Because in those moments when you struggle, the enemy's going to say, he doesn't love you anymore. You can't run back to him again this time. That's a lie from the pit of hell. His grace is always sufficient. And our ultimate holiness was earned on the cross. Now we're striving to walk this path. So as we sing, and I invite you, if you're physically comfortable and able doing so, I had a hip thing for a while. Standing during worship hurt rather than helped. So if that hurts, stay seated if you want. But if you're able to stand, would you stand and let this song become a declaration from your heart.